to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are in Proverbs 17, approaching the end of the chapter, actually. We'll be wrapping up these final verses and then uh, moving on into Proverbs 18. Before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer. It would do us no good whatsoever to be sitting here in carnality, and since chances are you drove through Austin traffic to get here, we'll uh, give you an opportunity to confess your traffic sins. Shall we pray? Good morning, Heavenly Father. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for brothers and sisters that are positive to the Word of God, that are hungry to be fed. We call upon your faithfulness this day, as always, that you would open the eyes of our understanding, give us ears to hear. We thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All righty. I'm looking at the wrong notes. These are the Colossians notes. All right, there we go. Proverbs. We're looking at the he-whos, because we have he-whos that we're dealing with here. And we, first of all, we looked under point 17. Looking at point 17, wisdom principles for friends and brothers. And we talked about those from verse 17. Uh, A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. And so we have the tandem of friends and brothers, the uh, reitlim for the friends and the achim for the brothers. And uh, we're going to see more of that. It's going to come back again in in chapter 18 and verse 24. And a lengthy section there in chapter 19, verse 4, verse 6. And verse 7. And so we went through that material already, looked at the vocabulary on friend, vocabulary on brother, talked about this imperative, the imperative to love your neighbor. The fact is, it's the same Hebrew word. It's the same word for friend, it's the same word for neighbor. And so when you're commanded to love your neighbor, that's the imperative. And then there's the expression that uh, a friend loves at all times. And so it's important that. We identify it's the same expression, same vocabulary, both in Leviticus 19 and in Proverbs 17. Anyway, get through some of this. Loving your neighbor does not mean destroying your soul with foolish and biblical financial enslavement. And I might rewrite that verse as well, given the uh, circumstances that we're dealing with in our culture today. Loving your neighbor does not mean destroying your soul by accepting his sexual perversions. And they, uh, if you criticize their unbiblical practices, they will say, well, where's your love? Or or why are you so filled with hate? And they say, come on, love is love. And they want you to accept their sexual perversions. That's not love. Love does not rejoice in wickedness. Love rejoices in the truth. And so the truth is, because I love you, I want you to be rescued from the enslavement that you presently have and uh, with what you call a lifestyle, but I call a death style because it is uh, it, it will take 20 years off your life on average. And uh, smoking only takes 10 years off your life on average. And we have Surgeon General warnings in every pack of cigarettes. But the homosexual lifestyle will, will take 20 years off your life on average. And that's, uh, that's just the demographics of it. And so love, wanting you to be rescued from your enslavement, is not to accept what you're doing or promote what you're doing. Yes, that's not love. Loving your neighbor does not mean destroying your soul. And in verse 18, a man lacking sense, a man with a destroyed soul capacity, his heart is diminished. 
uh, pledges and becomes guarantor in the presence of his neighbor. That's not how God designed it. And uh, the, the business connections, the uh, enslavement of being guarantor, that's not your role. That's why we have families and clans and tribes, and that's why you, uh, God designed it that way. And uh, anyway, we discussed that as well. All right. Getting now into verses 19 through 21. 19 through 21. He who loves transgression, he who raises his door, he who has a crooked mind, he who is uh, has a perverted tongue or perverted in his language, he who sires a fool. So we have five he who's that we're looking at here. And we got through the first two or three of them a week ago. Uh, and we're ready to wrap the other ones up here this morning. The he who's of uh, verses 19 through 21. All of them with negative personal and public harm. The reason why we look out for these he who's is because every one of them is destroying themselves personally, uh, harming themselves personally, but they're also harming the public. They're harming the community. And uh, this is a central feature of of all of these chapters from chapter 10 to 24 in personal and public wisdom, demonstrating how believers that are functioning in the Word of God benefit themselves. They also benefit their community. They benefit the public. Uh, unbelievers harm themselves and harm the public. Believers that are not walking according to God's wisdom are just like the unbeliever then where they harm themselves and they harm the public. There is public harm to believers that are using the world's wisdom instead of God's wisdom in uh, their daily life. And we see this with all of these he who's. So he who loves transgression. Now we all transgress, we're all sinners, uh, but when you've reached the hardness of heart point that you start loving the transgression itself, that's trouble, right? We should be at the point where every time we sin, every time we confess, we want to confess, we want to confess as soon as possible, sooner rather than later, that uh, there, there, of course there was a carnal enjoyment. Sin is fun, there's passing pleasure of sin, but we don't want to have that long-term delight loving the transgression itself. We, uh, that's, that's a hardness of heart. And uh, obviously that has to be avoided. So he who loves transgression, love is supposed to conceal a transgression, not love a transgression. As we saw back in verse 9, he who conceals a transgression seeks love. Uh, But to love transgression itself loves the strife that results in friendship death. And so when it says he who loves transgression loves strife. And I think we've, we've met these kind of people. We all know these kind of people. Hopefully none of us are these kind of people that just love to stir the pot. We love to poke things. We love to play devil's advocate. We just sometimes become argumentative for the sake of being argumentative. We don't really believe the things we're saying. It's just, it's what stirs it up. So we say it. And uh, the people like that, that just thrive in the chaos, that thrive in the, in the, uh, the, the conflict, the strife that then arises. Why? Why? What, what kind of a thrill do you get out of that? See, uh, it just it doesn't make any sense to me. I, I, my mind can't even process that kind of a thing. In any event, the um, that's what you look at here in this application. This is the defiant love for what God personally hates the most. And when you look at Proverbs six, He lists seven things: six and seven, six things that the Lord hates. Yes, seven that are an abomination to Him. 
And a lot of teaching went into that six, uh, chapter 6 when we were in those verses, but you might remember that seventh one is the pinnacle, it is the utmost. Uh, the six are just paving the way to introduce item number seven, and it's the one who uh, creates strife among his brethren. That's the, the pinnacle of God's hatred of, of what's an abomination in God's sight. The second he who is he who raises his door. And uh, this is an idiom that's lost to us today, and not only is it lost in transa- uh, translation, it was even lost in some uh, cultural aspects of things that even uh, even among the Jews themselves, uh, when they were writing their own commentaries on their own scriptures, uh, they they debated as to how to understand this idiom because it could be understood a, a couple of different ways. Um, I, I think is the best rendering is to understand it refers to the mouth, it refers to the wide open door, um, the wide open mouth. And when you raise it, that means your mouth is always open. That means you're just, it's open wide, you're speaking louder than anybody else around you. Um, and, uh, and what is that? Well, if you accept it as a mouth idiom, then we can connect it to other scriptures uh, in Micah, I think, and in Ecclesiastes, some other places. Um, and, and, and obviously it's, a, it's an expression for pride. And um, the humble, of course, is, is quick to hear and slow to speak. The humble would, would rather listen to the elders instead of listening to themselves. Uh, the humble would be like Elihu in the book of Job who waited for 33 chapters for those old guys to to quit, and then he finally couldn't help himself. He had to contribute some things. Uh, that's the uh, that's the attitude there. So, accepting the he who idiom here as a pride idiom, then uh, of course we can correlate it with other proverbs that do speak of pride going before destruction. And that's what we see here. He who raises his door seeks destruction, and the destruction outcome of this uh, matches well with what we find in Proverbs sixteen eighteen, Proverbs seventeen nine. Proverbs 18, 12, and Proverbs 29, 23. And so that's the second of the he who's that we looked at a week ago. Now we have he who has a crooked mind. He who has a crooked mind. And and uh, the, the word for mind there is the word for heart. It's not the blood pumping organ in your chest. It's the core of your being that centers on your thinking and, and your attitudes towards God. Uh, he who has a crooked mind. We actually developed this earlier in chapter 11. It was an idiom that was seen previously in Proverbs 11 and verse 20, so you might remember. In that chapter, this point was made. The heart drives the walk and sparks either abomination or delight to the Lord. It's the heart that drives the walk. As a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. And it's your heart that derives what you say, what you do. Um, It's the heart that has to be transformed by the Word of God. That's why we need a new heart. Thankfully, we get a new heart when we're saved, and that new heart can be renewed day by day uh, as uh, the Word of God ministers to it. So uh, we're thrilled with this whole concept. The unbeliever might not be, and the carnal believer better not be. It's a grim concept for the unregenerate heart in Adam, but it's a grace blessing for the new heart in Christ. And uh, that's the joy there. We do have a, I think I mentioned a song by Clifton Jansky called A Heart Transplant that uh, that he's, he sings called I Need a Heart Transplant from the Great Physician. And he's talking about what happens when you get saved because that old heart is is in bad condition, right? And there's no waiting list for this transplant. The charges are paid in full. It's uh, pretty neat. Uh, I forget all the lyrics to it, but that's uh, that's the song there. All right. 
And so uh, here in, in this, uh, he who has a crooked mind finds no good. Finds no good. And there is no divine good production. Even if you, you put up what you call something, you call something good, all the best you're going to do is human good. It's still coming from the crooked mind. It's still coming from the unregenerate way of thinking. And so a lot of fine moral people, they have human ethics and they have morals that seem to uh, have a general public acceptance and they're probably thought of as fine upstanding citizens or good people and so forth. Uh, But coming from that crooked mind in Adam, it produces no good whatsoever. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags. God wants nothing to do with it. And uh, and for these relative fallen creatures to think that they can impress God with their relative goodness is uh, is insanity. It's it's satanic, and so we get that. Jeremiah seventeen: uh, the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Okay, and that's just the way it goes. And so this is what we have here. Back in Proverbs eleven, you might remember. Um, the perverse in heart are an abomination to the Lord, but the blameless in their walk are his delight. Assuredly, the evil man will not go unpunished, but the descendants of the righteous will be delivered. All right, so we have the issues there. Perverted language doesn't take long, of course, and the perverted mind says some very perverted things. Even, I've got to be clear on this, perverted things that are perverted in God's sight but might be absolutely embraced and celebrated by your fellow perverts, by fellow people in this world that have the same crooked thinking. He who is perverted in his language turns things upside down and it makes total sense to them because their heart is so crooked. And sometimes you think we're speaking a different language, like really? What color is the sky in your world? It's, it's just strange. You're talking to people and they are so convinced that boys can be girls if they think they're girls. And, and what's wrong with you? What are you, some kind of primitive Bible thumper? You know, and they, 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 and, and they're so convinced that we've got 12 years left and we're ruining the world and global warming is real and the Bible is fiction. And, and they live in this upside down bizarro world. It is a, I'm calling it a polar opposite bizarro world. So this is what we deal with here. And I think this verse really speaks to it and so many other scriptures really deal with it as well. And it's curious to me that a concept that uh, if you're familiar with Bizarro or Bizarro World or not, it's, it goes to, um, uh, it's actually an old comic book thing from the Superman comics in years ago. And this Bizarro World where an evil Superman uh, was was evil instead of good. And and uh, that's, sometimes I think I, I woke up this morning in Bizarro World where good is evil and evil is good and, and up is down and, and you know, who are these crazy people? When is the Lord going to come and stop all this foolishness? Sometimes I wonder. All right. So that's what we deal with here. And um, he who is perverted in his language falls into evil, it says. And uh, that, that falling, the, the Hebrew expression is, is like a, an upturning, a, a, an upheaval where things are turned upside down. And oftentimes that kind of language gets used in divine judgment passages, in passages where uh, the fountains of the deep are broken up and things are flipped upside down uh, when the hand of God's wrath is upon this world. So the polar opposite bizarro world is completely lost on its inhabitants. They don't know they're in it. 
They think they're the normal ones. And they, it's, it's completely lost to them that they're living in bizarro world. And they think there's something wrong with us. Deuteronomy 32. We'll see some of this as it gets spelled out here in these, in these verses. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 20. I tell you, this slide here could really become a, a conference. <laughs> you could you could spend five five weeknights uh, in, in just detailing and expanding on so many of these things, and it can become a biblical commentary on American twenty first century American culture. All right, Deuteronomy thirty two. This is the song of Moses as he's getting ready to depart and hand things off to Joshua, but. Um, Understand the paragraph begins in verse 19 and it comes in the aftermath of 15 through 18. Um, it says in, in verse 15, Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. Jeshurun is a poetic term for Israel under prosperity, which means under prosperity they're probably uh, turning to idolatry. They're probably abandoning the Lord. And more often than not in prosperity this is what happens. So Jeshurun grew fat. That's a prosperity idiom and uh, kicked. You were grown fat, thick, and sleek. Uh, Then he forsook God who made him and scorned the rock of his salvation. They made him jealous with strange gods. With abominations they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons who were not God, to gods whom they have not known, new gods who came lately, whom your fathers did not dread. So like Johnny come lately, these are gods come lately. And they're phonies, they're frauds. They're demons posing themselves as gods. You neglected the rock who begot you and forgot the God who gave you birth. So the Lord saw this, saw this idolatry, saw this rejection, and spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and daughters. Then he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be. For they are a perverse generation. Perverse, upside down, up is down, down is up, right is wrong, good is bad. Everything is, is just a bizarro world in, uh, in every sense. A perverse generation. Sons in whom is no faithfulness. This is what God expects. He is faithful. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. But this is what happens. And so the hand of God's discipline comes upon the upside down world. And it's interesting to me that he views it per generation. That if an entire generation is given over to this upside down insanity, uh, that's when the, the judgment hits and he's ready to start over now with a new generation. Like from the Exodus generation to the wilderness generation to the, to the conquest generation and so forth. He, God deals generationally with earthly nations. All right. And so that's the description of it there. We'll, we'll see more of that too. And uh, yeah, so that's Deuteronomy 32 and verse 20. How about 1 Samuel 10 and verse 6? Hmm. So Samuel is... Uh, you know, they've been, Israel's rebellious, they want to have a king like all the nations around them. And 
Samuel uh, is telling him that's not a good idea. And the Lord said, well, give them what they want. And they're going to learn this lesson the hard way. So Saul is the one that's selected because he's tall, he's handsome. Everything thinks uh, this is going to be a great deal for him. And even under permissive will, what's curious to me is how Saul uh, has an opportunity to be spirit and dwell, to, to prophesy, to learn in humility under Samuel. And uh, of course he doesn't. Saul has a terrible ending. But here in this chapter anyway, um, verse 5 says, Afterward you will come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is, and it shall be as soon as you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and a lyre before them, and they will be prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily, and you shall prophesy with them and be changed into another man. And changed into another man. Now that that gets a lot of uh, uh, attention. Because uh, you want more. You're like, ooh, tell me more, tell me more. And then you get to verse 7 and we don't get any more. <laughs> oh, well, wait a minute. So it shall be when these signs come to you, do for yourself what the occasion requires for God is with you. So he gets the briefing about what's going to happen and then they go and it happens. All right. And that's kind of normal. This is, uh, this is how the prophets operated in the Old Testament. When uh, prophets would get a heads up and Samuel would be alerted and says, you know, about this time tomorrow a man's going to come here. He's going to be looking for his father's lost donkeys. And uh, tell him not to worry about the donkeys they've been found, but I want you to take him and make him king. And so the prophets would get that kind of notice ahead of time. And then sure enough, the next day, here comes Saul bumbling along looking for his father's lost donkeys. And the Lord can say, that's, the, that's what I told you about yesterday. And the prophets, they was you know, like you get daily briefings to start your shift. And uh, just God would give his prophets uh, a daily briefing ahead of time, what to expect the next day. And uh, something similar is happening here, that you're going to be headed up this way and these tambourine bangers and guys are coming down and they're prophesying and the Spirit will come upon you and you will be changed into another man. You're going to be flipped upside down, (laughs) okay? You're going to be... you're just going to be turned on your head. How, you know, we, how do we understand this idiom? Okay. And as a good thing, as a bad thing, as uh, maybe what starts as a good thing and then becomes a bad thing, uh, it's, it's interesting to me when God selects the men that He selects to put them in ministry, uh, are they the same people afterwards? Of course not. God selected you, but His hand is on you, He's anointed you, He's put you into ministry. And in His wisdom, He uh, knows what He's doing. He chooses the foolish things to shame the wise and the weak things to shame the strong. He chooses the things that aren't so they can nullify the things that are. Why did He choose Saul? Okay. And when He became a different man, that was for the discipline of the Jewish people. They were demanding a king, and he's not going to give them David, a man after his own heart, until after he gives them this guy. And they're going to get Saul, and they may have been really impressed with Saul at first until he became a different man. Until he became, uh, and in some cases, with the Spirit of God on him and the prophesying that he did, uh, it seemed to have driven an arrogance into him. It seemed to have driven a, a, a 
He started listening to, de- to demons. He started getting uh, wrapped up in these other things. He, Saul was a horrible king at the end. Anyway, this is, the, uh, this is the thing here. And so when a spirit comes upon you, and this is God the Holy Spirit, imagine what happens with fallen spirits. Imagine what happens with demons. Imagine what happens to the unbelievers of this world when spirits come upon them. Do things get turned upside down? Do they become other people? See? And I think we all recognize, even unbelievers recognize, that um, under influences, you're not the same person you used to be. You know, the drug addict is a whole different person than he was 10 years ago before the drugs. The alcoholic is a totally different person than he was before the alcohol. And when he's sober, he's a different person than when he's drunk. And those are under chemical influences. What happens under demonic influences? What happens under spiritual influences? Can things be turned upside down? Can you become a different, not you, your believers, but can unbelievers become different people under demonic influences? Of course. And there are people that do things every day that just aren't human. They're doing, they're listening to deceitful spirits and the doctrines of demons. And I think a lot of the the perversions are not natural. They're not human. But there is a demonic drive that, that derives a, a pleasure from some of these things. I think it's the demons that are taking great pleasure in making the, the humans act like animals. Anyway, there's, a, there's an idiom there. And uh, no shortage of commentary on the part of the rabbis, on the part of the, uh, the Jewish traditions, and, uh, and all the rest. Ezekiel 16 and verse 34. Things can be so turned upside down. The prophet Ezekiel. Where did he? There he is. Ezekiel sixteen thirty four. <laughs> yeah, you're different. All right, you're upside down. You got it backwards. Now this is a tough chapter. Uh, this is a chapter that uh, uh, Jewish parents made sure their children were old enough to understand things before they would read this chapter. It's a, definitely a PG-13 chapter. And uh, talking metaphorically about uh, Israel and, and playing the harlot and um, the different things here. So there's wickedness, there's um, adultery, and um, I don't know how much of this we want to read, but uh, in verse 23, it came about after all your wickedness that you built yourself a shrine and made yourself a high place in every square. You built yourself a high place at the top of every street and made your beauty abominable. You spread your legs to every passerby to multiply your harlotry. You also played the harlot with the Egyptians, your lustful neighbors, and multiplied your harlotry to make me angry. Now this is kind of vulgar and and blunt in the language, but it's designed that way. It's designed to make the point loud and clear. That there's never any happiness in this, and it just gets worse and worse and worse as you keep multiplying things to make your to convince yourself of how much happy you know happier you are. And there's no satisfaction. Verse 27, Behold now I have stretched out my hand against you and diminished your rations. I delivered you up to the desire of those who hate you. 
<laughs> they hate you. It doesn't keep them from having sex with you, but they hate you. And all of these ugly things. The daughters of the Philistines who are ashamed of your lewd conduct. So if they think, ooh, if the daughters of the Philistines look at your lewdness and go, ooh, okay, that says something. If they think you're a slut, that's, that's saying something, okay? Moreover, you played the harlot with the Assyrians because you were not satisfied. You played the harlot with them and still were not satisfied. It is so destructive to the soul. But going from one to one to one to one, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. You multiplied your harlotry with the land of the merchants, Chaldea. Yet even with this, you were not satisfied. This is Babylon. Chaldea is Babylon. This is where they were taken to in their exile. How languishing is your heart, declares the Lord God. While you, were, while you do all these things, the actions of a bold-faced harlot, when you build your shrine at the beginning of every street and made your high place in every square and in disdaining money, you were not like a harlot. It got so bad that she stopped charging. You disdain money. You adulterous wife who takes strangers instead of her husband. Men give gifts to all harlots, but you give your gifts to all your lovers to bribe them to come to you from every direction for your harlotries. It has gotten so bad now that she's paying them. It's it's backwards. It's upside down. It's bizarro world. It is so, you are such a harlot that you're now, you've come full circle around as almost like a double harlot, anti-harlot. Uh, you're still doing the sex, but now you're paying them. Does that make any sense? Who does this? All right, nobody, nobody in their right mind Nobody that serves the Lord is walking in the Word of God. That, Of course not. So yeah, men give gifts to all harlots, but you give your gifts to all your lovers to bribe them to come to you from every direction for your harlotries. Thus, you are different from those women. Like Saul became an, another man, a different man. Now they are different from those women in your harlotries in that no one plays the harlot as you do, because you give money and no money is given you, thus you are different. Upside down, change, perverted. Perverted. And so this polar opposite, this polar opposite, you know, at least with normal harlotry, you can get paid. You're paying them? All right. Polar opposite, bizarro world. And it's completely lost on its inhabitants. This woman thinks, hey, I'm having fun. This is great. So, tough chapter there. How about Isaiah 29? Isaiah 29 and verse 16. Hmm. And boy, this one gets convicting. And um, it's a whole chapter of woe. Woe, O Ariel. Ariel, the city where David once camped. Ariel should be a a name of glory. It means lion. And uh, all all God can do is weep. And uh, the enemies are multiplied. The, um, They can't even get answers 
They stagger, but not with strong drink. All right. For the Lord has poured over you a spirit of deep sleep. He has shut your eyes, the prophets. He has covered your heads, the seers. So not only is our nation given over to darkness, not only is there a preponderance of idolatry in the land, there's also a diminished uh, source of truth. There's fewer churches than, than ever. There's fewer doctrinal teaching pastors than past generations. We have a, a famine for, for teaching upon this land. The entire vision will be to you like the words of a sealed book, which uh, when they give it to the one who is literate, saying, please read this, he will say, I cannot, for it is sealed. Then the book will be given to the one who is illiterate, saying, please read this, and he will say, I cannot read. And I think this is where we are. This is where our nation is by and large. Then the Lord said, because this people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me, and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. They're just going through the motions. They have a religiosity, but they don't know anything about the Word of God. They just, they just go with what they always do as a matter of culture or tradition or whatever and have no sense of true worship, not with their heart. So uh, behold, I will once again deal marvelously with this people, wondrously marvelous, and the wisdom of their wise men will perish and the discernment of the discerning men will be concealed. We've got an older generation dying off and where are the young men taking these churches? Woe to those who deeply hide their plans from the Lord. Like, yeah, you can hide from God. Whose deeds are done in a dark place. And they say, who sees us or who knows us? They've convinced themselves that God doesn't see what they're doing. But he wrote about it thousands of years ahead of time. He knows exactly what they're doing. You turn things around. This is what a pervert does. It's upside down. It's backwards. You're living in bizarro world. Shall the potter be considered as equal with the clay? What, that what is made would say to its maker, he did not make me? Or what is formed, say to him who formed it, he has no understanding? As if you know better than God? God made all of this. He made you. His wisdom <laughs> makes the world's wisdom foolishness. Why do you think you know better than God? Anyway, this is the, this is the upside down bizarro world. And it's completely lost on its inhabitants. The folks living in the world think that they're the ones that have it great. And uh, everybody else, what's wrong with you? How insane are you if you believe that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth? Don't you know that in the beginning was a big bang and all the rest of this just happened as an accident and, and uh, billions of years and time and chance and all these things and, and eventually some kind of goo that arose somehow that, that sparked life somehow and all these things. And why are you still believing that God made all this? And uh, why are you still believing that not only in the beginning God created them, uh, the heavens and the earth, but in the beginning God created them male and female? How about that? <laughs> you know, I mean, our life is simple. I can't imagine the, just the insanity of how crazy things are when you, when you lose the, the, the standard from the Word of God. So, he who is perverted. Then the fifth he who he who sires a fool and the father of a fool. Now this he who actually gets the longest of all the developments. You'll notice that the first four he who's uh, had, uh, they were just uh, sharing verses. The first four he who's um, 
we're, we're simply sharing verses. So verse 19 had the first two he who's. Uh, 19a had he who loves transgression, and 19b had he who raises his door. 20a had he who has a crooked mind, and 20b had he who is perverted in language. So they were sharing the verses. This fifth he who gets the whole verse to himself and gets really a twin development based upon his relationship with his father. So uh, because there's the siring and then there's the fathering. And, uh, and, and they're, they're two different things, obviously. You can birth a child, but then you have to raise the child. And uh, he who sires a fool does so to his sorrow. And uh, in a sense, aren't, aren't they all fools? <laughs> I mean, every child is, is basically an idiot until he starts learning, until he starts growing, and, and you want to have him grounded in the Word of God. But the father of a fool, and two different words for fool, the father of a fool has no joy. So two sides of this. And I think this is interesting. So he who hires a casile, and then there's the father of the naval. He who sires a casile, and the father of a naval. And they both mean fool, uh, slight distinctions between them. Kassil is used 70 times. It's all throughout Proverbs. We have the Kassil in a lot of places throughout Proverbs. Naval, not so much. In fact, um, this is only the second time we've encountered it. And the first time was in this chapter. It took 17 chapters to finally get to the Naval, to the Naval fool. And uh, I even commented on this. Uh, we've been expecting the Naval fool for some time because we know the story of Nabal and, and Abigail. And Nabal is the fool. Uh, but it's more than the is more than simply the wisdom deficiency. That would be the kasil. The kasil is the is the one that's that's ignorant, the one that has a wisdom deficiency. You know, we can fix ignorance. Ignorance can be remedied. Uh, but the naval, what can be done with the naval? Because this is the uh, this is the one. This is the cultural fool. This is the as we saw it in seventeen seven. Excellent speech is not fitting for a fool, much less are lying lips to the noble, to the prince. And you remember we talked about the cultural estimations of, of people. Who are the nobility in your culture? And who are the fools in your culture? Who are the contributing members to your society that benefit those all around them? And uh, they are the, uh, the, the benefactors, they are the patrons uh, of the uh, of the arts, they are the contributors to culture. They are the ones that made donations to different endowments and different libraries and different schools. and And so you have every culture has had through human history, every generation of every culture has had its noble minded uh, uh, in, inhabitants, and then they've had their idiots. They've had their fools. They've had their um, detriments to society. The people that honestly contribute nothing but harm to the culture, to the, uh, to the uh, uh, society, to your city, town, nation, what have you. And that's the nabal. And, the, and, and this is why Proverbs are so critical. We want to ground our children in the Word of God. We want to, uh, we want to end the naivete. How long, O, o Pethi, will you enjoy being simple? It's time to grow up. 
And, uh, you know, simple, silly things are cute when you're, when you're a three-year-old, but simple, silly things are not cute when you're 33. All right. It's, uh, you know, it was, it's time to grow up. And these are the issues here. And willfully prolonging childhood is not biblical. And so to be the casile long-term into adult capacity means now you're out of your parents' uh, house, you're in your own generation, you're, you're in community, and uh, you're still just as casile as you've ever been, but now you're Nabal. Now you're Nabal and your workers are going to pay a price. Nabal's uh, shepherds were almost all massacred in, until Abigail came along and, and rescued them. And, uh, and uh, other... Uh, impact that happens among the clan, family, clan, tribe, and, and area. So if you want to do more word studies on this, have some fun with it. We've seen Casil in lots of places. Number 3684 uh, has 70 Old Testament uses and, and it's the dominant expression in Proverbs. The Naval has 18 uses in the New Testament, only three in Proverbs, and two of them are right here in this chapter. Um... And so uh, I think we can understand the distinction between them. But the uh, the casil is much more common. And when we find it, very frequently, it's connected with parental grief. It's, correct, it's connected with what displeases, what brings emotional sorrow to the parents, and that is the casil. Okay? And there's grief when a parent knows that they didn't raise them this way, when the parent knows that they should know better than this. That uh, the, you know, you train them up in the Word of God, and should they not be, you know, when he is old, he will not depart from it. Well, hurry up, get old, would you? Because <laughs> right now you're in this in-between stage. When they're young, you can spank them. When they're old, they will not depart from it. That's the promise. It's the general promise of application. There are exceptions, of course. Um, but what about that in-between? When they're not young enough to spank, they're not they're no longer under your uh, roof. Yeah, so we see the description here. Proverbs 10.1, the Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. And this is the this is the standard. And it's not uh it's not whether they're doctors or lawyers or uh what business success they've had or what college degrees they've earned or what it has to do with are they in the Word of God? Are they hum- are they believers that are humble before the Lord walking in the Word of God? If they're pursuing wisdom, there is parental joy. And, uh, and, that's, and, and none of the rest of that has any effect. Um, but the foolish son is a grief to his mother. And it doesn't matter what their secular success is. They could have all the accolades of everything in the world. And uh, but they're not in the Word of God. They're the casil, and it's a grief. It's a sorrow. And for believers that have divine viewpoint, uh, there will be disappointment for the children that aren't under teaching, that aren't living out their Christian faith. And that's the expression. Same thing here in uh, chapter seventeen, um, verses twenty-one and twenty-five. Twenty-one is our verse this morning. Verse twenty-five goes with it. A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. <laughs> Man, I imagine I've never borne a child. I've saw it four times. It looked painful. <laughs> you know, I held her hand. I did some of the Lamaze breathing stuff that was supposed to help. I don't think it did. I don't know. 
But, you know, that's a lot of pain. That's a lot of agony. That's a lot of, you know, and then you're going to pay that back by living like this? What are you doing? With the sorrow that comes in uh, seeing a child who is not living in the Word of God. So yeah, verse 25 goes very well with verse 21. And the grief and the bitterness in uh, the, the disappointment of, uh, of those children. Okay? Chapter 19 and verse 3. The foolishness of man ruins his way and his heart rages against the Lord. And there you have it. That's the casile. That's the casile. So these are the five he who's as we uh, we look at them here. All right. After the he who's, what do we have? You really want to wrap this chapter up. Maybe by next week. Uh, we move from the he who's to the health issues. We've seen this before too. This came up in chapter 15. Uh, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. Now, this is true, and this is a truth. We accept it because the Bible says so. The believer's spiritual life condition has physiological impact. Your spiritual life condition has physiological impact. And we accept it for what it says. We don't abuse it. We don't take it beyond what it says. We don't read into it and make assumptions about it that aren't consistent with what this says. And it says so here, it says so elsewhere as well in chapter 15 and chapter 18. Even in 3 John we have principles with respect to this. But let's, uh, let's, uh, let's recognize the fact that this is not everything the Bible has to say about physical health. This is not everything the Bible has to say about um, doctors and medicine and so forth. Okay, And so this is not a, a solution to everything. If, if the doctor told you that, uh, that you've got a tumor and he suspects that it might be cancerous, uh, the answer is not to go to the comedy club on Friday night and laugh a lot um, as, um, you know, the joyful heart is good medicine. So uh, I just want to get on YouTube and watch all of the comedy stand-up acts I can find. There's a lot of them on there. And, uh, and you know, if, 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 if jokes could give you eternal life, uh, you know, Robin Williams would still be with us, right? You know, how, how does a, a guy that spends his career making other people laugh, be so depressed. And so, uh, you know, it's, I think a lot about that. Well, let's take it for what it says. Uh, not only in the first half, where yes, a joyful heart is good medicine, but also the second half, a broken spirit dries up the bones. That uh, the, the spiritual life in the positive way and in the negative way can have positive and negative uh, effects in the body. Psychosomatic illnesses, for example, and other things. You can worry yourself sick. You can worry yourself to death. And uh, these, uh, these are true principles as well. And uh, the joyful heart that loves the Lord and, and, and uh, worships every day and, and fellowships in the Word of God every day and has a, a sweet uh, heart before the Lord every day not going to cure the cancer, but it sure makes it enjoyable as you uh, live out your final days. My mother was joyous right to the very day 
And when the doctor came in to give her the bad news, she smiled and said, I thought you might be telling me that. And then they, of course it was Seton, it was a Catholic hospital, so they sent us this Catholic priest chaplain kind of guy in and he, he wants to know if she needs her last rites and he's going to smear something on her head and, and uh, she didn't want any of that. <laughs> and he wanted to talk to her about heaven and she said, oh I know all about it. And there can be joy, there can be that sweet spirit joy that, uh, that just the, the unbeliever is not going to have a clue. Why, why are you so okay with this? Because because I love the Lord, I know where I'm going. My work here is done, and uh, and the issues there. All right, back to chapter 15. Verse 13: A cheerful heart, a joyful heart, makes a cheerful face. But when the heart is sad, the spirit is broken. The actual effects, not just physiological effects, but spiritual effects. A broken spirit. That's, uh, that's the idiom there. Verse 15, all the days of the afflicted are bad, but a cheerful heart has a continual feast. So, uh, you know, we, we get that. That's human. That's normal. We have good days and we have bad days. But if we're walking with the Lord, even the bad days can be cheerful. And if you're not walking with the Lord, even good days can be miserable. You can find a way to be miserable. Not even enjoying the 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 you know, God's green earth and the, the air that God lets us breathe and all the other common grace. The, the fact is, is, uh, you know, I, I woke up in bed instead of under a bridge somewhere. I woke up in America instead of Hong Kong. Uh, you know, all these things. Thank you, Lord. And all these things that are just gifts of God's grace. Could have woken up in South Sudan somewhere and been, uh, I mean, just think about it. There's terrible places in this world right now. Where naming the name of Christ can get you killed. And so, uh, yeah, I like 15, 15. All the days of the afflicted are bad, but a cheerful heart has a continual feast. Verse 30, uh, bright eyes gladden the heart. Good news puts fat on the bones. 18, 14. You know, I think a benefit for this is prayer meeting. A lot of times you come to prayer meeting and you get good news you didn't even know that was out there, but somebody uh, says, hey, I want to share an answer to prayer. I want to share a neat thing. And, uh, oh, I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't been to prayer meeting. Glad I came to prayer meeting. And then I get more to worship and more to praise God for and more to thank God for. I also get more to uh, to weep over as I am bearing one another's burdens and learning things that, uh, hmm, well, okay, I'm not thrilled with that, but I'm happy that I can be praying for that. And it's a blessing to be an intercessor. And so these things get multiplied. If, if we avoid corporate prayer, then all we really do is just limit our own uh, weeping and rejoicing to our own personal experiences, and that's, that's pretty diminished. So why not multiply it to the, to the body of Christ, to the flock of believers that, uh, that God's given us? 18.14, the spirit of a man can endure his sickness, but as for a broken spirit, who can bear it? Who can bear it? And I think it's true too. I've seen like with my dad and other cases, um, you know, there's stuff that can be survived physically. But if the person just gives up on life, doesn't, you know, doesn't want to live anymore, then he's not going to overcome it and, and ends up uh, dying a physical death that he might have otherwise lived through in uh, the pneumonia or whatever else that he could have recovered from. But his broken spirit didn't want to recover from it. And uh, I think that speaks to there. 
because the spirit of a man can endure his sickness. But as for a broken spirit, who can bear it? Finally then, uh, 3 John. And maybe what ought to be our first prayer rather than the health test itself is the soul condition. And then the health can match the soul condition. So uh, the prayer is, Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. So we pray for people that have health issues. We pray for people that are looking for jobs. They're, they're laid off. They need, they need employment. There's um, physical, uh, uh, there's, there's money needs. And we, we understand that. But the prayer here for prosperity and health, isn't that where most of our prayers get focused? Prosperity and health a lot of times? Well, let's move those to the end of the prayer list and let's front load the soul prosperity, the soul health. Pray for that as a first uh, item. Seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all these things will be added. So that you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. What good is it if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul? What good is it if, wow, this is great, he got three promotions and he's got six pay raises and, and business is booming and all this other stuff. And, and then the world looks at this and goes, wow, gangbusters, this is, this is prosperity. But at what cost? Are you feeding your soul? What's, your, what's the health of your soul at this moment? And uh, let's make sure that we have it, uh, don't have it upside down and backwards like bizarre world, have it right side up and, fo- and forwards like God's uh, word designs. All right. Well, we'll deal with the rest of this chapter next week. How about that? We'll go on to, um, we really are close. Why are we so close? We're only in verse 22. We've got six more verses to go. But half of them we've already covered. Half of them have already been included in some of the earlier verses this chapter. And so uh, we still have to talk about uh, verse 24. Wisdom in the presence of the one who has understanding. We still have to talk about verse, uh, we already covered 25 and 26. 27, he who restrains his words has knowledge. Not talking too much, improving to everybody what a fool you are. Even a fool when he keeps silent is considered wise. <laughs> Sometimes the best thing you can do is just shut your mouth and don't say anything. And uh, maybe they'll assume you're a fool because you're not saying anything. They'll assume, hmm, this guy, uh, maybe he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's not saying anything. Well, that's okay. But it's better to do that than to open your mouth and remove all doubt, right? To just start spouting off all kinds of ignorance. And then, yeah, now people really know. Anyway, we'll have some fun with that. Lord willing and rapture pending. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for um, well, just for this study, Father, and so many things that are practical that uh, it's hard to imagine it was written 3,000 years ago that uh, Solomon, uh, if he could have seen what we're dealing with today, what would he have thought with uh, boys that think they're girls and girls that think they're boys and all this other craziness that uh, tries to redefine what you created and what you defined so Father, we, uh, we humble ourselves before your truth. We want to live according to the standard that you have laid out there. 
we understand that there's consequences for uh, de- for defying your truth. There's also blessings, Father, for aligning our choices based upon what pleases you. And this is what it comes down to, Father. We want our eyes open. We want to be filled with a, the epinosis of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. And Father, just thank you for giving this to us. We praise you and thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.